We will be reading from Hebrews chapter 1. We'll read the whole chapter. God, who at various, various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he said, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Then, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. To the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you and the oil of gladness more than your with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, David, I appreciated your, your word uh, um, as it pertains to partaking of the, the bread and the cup. Uh, we didn't have to look too far to find an appropriate uh, word for the Lord's Supper today because it's embedded right here in the text. And uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. I also appreciate your reminder uh, that you shared about words that your dad shared with you. You know, the, the remembering that we'll be looking into some of that as well as we begin our time here this morning. But uh, I, it just is a reminder to me as well of the joy of being able to um, pass on from a father to a son um, or a father to a daughter uh, these precious truths of God's word and principles that are found in God's word. Um, grateful for uh, boys this morning reading and always uh, enjoy having them participate in that way to, to worship the Lord through the reading of his word. Um, just want to encourage all of you in this up front, just as families, to, uh, to be taking hold of, of this word and putting this word into play in your homes. Just want to encourage you in that up front. Um, if you would, join me in a word of prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to jump right in here to chapter 1. Father, you have been at work through the ages 
Your hand has been on the generations before us. And according to your word, we'll continue through all generations. Your great love. Father, we see the testimony of your word is that you are a faithful God. You are the God of all gods. And we thank you that we can trust you for all things. And so as we open your word here to Hebrews chapter 1, I pray, Lord, we would do so with this awe and reverence we spoke of last week from Proverbs chapter 1, which says that the beginning of the Lord, the beginning, the fearing of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's also the beginning of wisdom we see later on in that book. But Father, I pray this morning that there would be within us that fear, that, that awe and reverence of who you are in this word that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us about yourself, about your son Jesus, and about your ways. And then you'd move us to walk in light of what you've called us to. Father, I pray that you would help us see, not just today, but each day, our great dependency and need for a Savior. Throughout the course of our days, Father, I pray that you would bring to our attention your greatness, your power, your majesty, and the wonder of your salvation. We thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through your word. And I pray this morning that you would grant us eyes to see and give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church as it pertains to this first chapter in the book of Hebrews. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our ruler, our creator, our direct image bearer of God and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, I was thinking this morning in terms of the text, this is kind of a, a jump start into the text with a question. And it was interesting. I was, that's why I was smiling when David was talking about things he was talking about this morning. Because one of the initial questions that, I, that I'd like to pose for you is, has anybody here ever had trouble remembering names? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Um, and here's the, here's the interesting thing. You know, I can meet somebody and they can tell me their name and like three seconds later I've forgotten it. I don't know if that's you or not, but they tell you, for some reason it just doesn't stick when they say their name to you. And so you're left with trying to remember who this person is. You know, I've come into a couple situations where you might run into a face that looks familiar, right? The face is a familiar one, but you can't pull the name from the registry up here, right? You just can't get it. And so sometimes you may be, I know this has been a situation or two of mine, where you encounter this familiar face and you're exchanging words, sometimes for a great length of time, talking to this person, maybe sharing a lot of different things or listening to them share a lot of different things, and all the while they're talking, you're racking your brain trying to remember this person's name, right? Ever been there? And they're talking, right? And it seems apparent that they know your name because they've actually used your name, they've greeted you by your name, and you're more focused on recalling this person's name than listening to what they have to say. You might also have encountered a situation where the person talking to you thinks that you're someone else. Ever encountered that? 
right, where they're talking, um, and, and that's, um, that's happened to me on several occasions. My brother's an athletic director, works for a school system in, in uh, Hamilton County, and um, he's connected to a lot of people just by nature of his job. He's connected to a lot of people. And, and my name is, is as, as most of you know, my name is Steve, but my name is also Mike, and that's my brother's name. And so whenever I'm talking to someone and they refer to me as Mike, I don't interrupt them. I don't ignore them. I don't, I don't try. I just take it. I've learned through the years that uh, if people say Mike, I know who they think I am. And so we, we carry on with the conversation. And perhaps you've been in those situations as well where someone has mistakenly uh, addressed you and thought you were Maybe it was a brother or a sibling or maybe someone who just looks like you. You know, for two summers, I thought there was a, this, this, this gentleman that I was working with through, through basketball realm. He's coordinating uh, many of the tournaments that I, that I was officiating. And for two, this was truth, for two summers, I thought this was Kyle. I thought this was Kyle. And this past summer, I come to realize this is not Kyle, it's Jeremy. And, and he told me, he said, Kyle's my twin brother. <laughs> so for two years I've been calling him and, and he probably did the same thing that, that I'd been doing as people address me as Mike you know we, we think we're talking to people and you know I was thinking about him and how situation and his you know all of, all of his conversations with me have been coming through the funnel of Kyle instead of his real name Jeremy now we can all look at these situations and come up with our own I said I, I'm bringing it forward because I think it's Familiar to all of us. We've all been in one of those situations, perhaps. Name recognition can be difficult at times. Especially when we don't see that other person all that often. Right? But friends, as we look to the book of Hebrews, the name of Jesus ought not be difficult to remember. The one who loved you with the cross. The one who's now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Waiting to come back one day. This Jesus should be a very familiar name to us. A name that resonates and resounds with meaning. Not just any old name. It's not just being able to know and say the name Jesus. But with that name comes all kinds of meaning, doesn't it? Communing in his presence daily. The Christian knows this Christ of whom we speak. You know, I was thinking about this and I would ask you the question, how would you go about introducing this man, Jesus, to a friend of yours? Let me introduce you to my friend. How would you introduce him to someone? You know, I think as we're looking at this in terms of introducing a a, a friend to someone, you typically do so by speaking his name or her name. Let me introduce you to my friend, and usually we insert the name. The name is their identity. 
who they are. Can you imagine introducing someone to a friend of yours and not mentioning their name? Have you ever been in that situation where you're talking with this person that you don't know and someone else comes up and it's a little awkward moment and you kind of feel like you need to introduce this person who you're familiar with from face but you don't know their name? It's a little awkward. To know someone's name that's deemed a friend of yours can be a little awkward if you don't know their name. The name brings, listen, the name brings identity. The name brings identity. And so as you open the book of Hebrews, it becomes apparent as you open it up and you read it. That the writer, whoever the writer may be, we could spend lots of time talking about speculating who the writer may be. Some have said Barnabas. Some have said Paul. Some have said Apollos. All kinds of different folks. The writer here is quick to identify who Jesus is, isn't he? And as you continue to read Hebrews, you see that the writer is not only identifying Jesus, but he's showing his superiority to all others. Angels, prophets of old, Moses, earthly sanctuary, old covenant, etc., etc., In chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the writer conveys to his listener two primary things. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. And God has spoken to us, he says, by his son. He identifies Jesus right out of the gate as a son, his son. Elsewhere, we know him as the only begotten son. This unique son of God. The one in whom is the fullness of God. The one that we know to be according to the record of the scripture. To be fully man and fully God. In verses 5 through 14. The writer is showing his listener. Not only some Differentiating, differentiating remarks about this Jesus and how this Jesus is better than the angels. But I believe in doing so, he identifies five things that Jesus is. Jesus is, is God's son. Jesus is the one to be worshipped. Jesus is the righteous ruler over all things. Jesus is unchanging in fact, we'll see in Hebrews 13, 8, that he is the same, right? Yesterday, today, forever. We see it right here out of the gate in Hebrews 1. He's unchanging. And Jesus is victorious. He's the one that's been given all authority. So the name of Jesus is submitted early and often in, in Hebrews as the one to pay attention to. The one to pay attention to. Jesus is better than anything you might want to weigh on the scales next to him. If we had a pair of scales here, and Jesus, if we could do this just by way of a visual example, right? I'm not actually talking about putting Jesus on a scale. I'm just saying, in terms of the weight of things, there's nothing comparable to Jesus. No one. And the writer of Hebrews is wanting to make that very clear to the ones he's writing to. 
It seems that the writer is addressing a group of Jewish Christians in Rome. At the end of the letter, chapter 13, verse 24, he gives a word. Those from Italy greet you. Uh, We have little clues in the text that help us with some of the context. And this context on the timeline of history seems to be somewhere in the early 60s. Perhaps 64 A.D., right before the persecution, Nero, the temple in Jerusalem, based upon Hebrews, based upon what we read, seems to still be operating its sacrifices, which would put us before 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem. A mention of Timothy at the end of this letter gives us a context that These things were written in his lifetime. As you read through Hebrews, you pick up on a thread of exhortation to persevere in the faith. We talked about this a little last week as as kind of a launch into Hebrews this week. Persevering. We heard about that on the January 3rd as a recorded message was delivered from Mr. Piper. To keep persevering, to keep going. To not give up. To endure this race of faith, even though it may very well cost you your life. And the audience here, to whom he's writing, seems to be on the front end of persecution. And the real threat of martyrdom is a possibility. And because of that, the writer seems to be exhorting the brethren to persevere. The Jews in Jerusalem understood this kind of persecution. We can read Acts 7, 8, and 9 to read about that. Saul was breathing out murderous threats, right? Remember that? On the heels of Stephen's martyrdom, the church was persecuted, scattered. The need to address Jewish Christians in Rome to remind them of the identity of this Jesus that they believed and received... This seems to be the context of Hebrews. So the the primary audience then is a group of people who are familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system. you, You probably pick up on that as you read through lots of details about this sacrificial system. They were well acquainted with the practices of Judaism and the exercising of the rituals and the customs associated. With persecution looming... It seems that these Christians were entertaining entertaining the idea of returning to their Jewish roots. Foregoing the path of identifying themselves, at least in practice, with this man, Jesus. And I'd like you here to consider in your own life, has there been a time in your life... where it's been difficult to navigate through portions or segments of your life solely because of your faith, solely because of who you are in Christ? Have you encountered a time in your life when your faith made it difficult for you to keep going? If you bear the name of Christian today, 
has the name of Christ and your identity with Christ caused hardship in your life in any way, shape, or form? See, I think for many of us, this is somewhat foreign to us. But what we're reading about is a group of people. That's why understanding the context is so important. We're reading about a group of people. This was reality. They were dealing with imminent persecution. Their lives were on the line. And friends, while we may not actually be there right now in our life today, I think with, with all that's going on around us, I think it's pretty clear to see there's, there's lots of signs, things pointing toward persecution. We could, we could come up with example ABC of things that we've heard in the news, things that are, are happening, have happened. Those who are Christians are being persecuted. And maybe you sit here today and it hasn't necessarily happened to you because of your faith. But we're reading this book of Hebrews and it's written to a group of people who this was a real thing. People who were questioning whether or not they were going to go back to the way things were. Have you ever considered going back? Entertain the thought of, well, I don't know if this is worth it. That's not a far cry from Psalm 73. The psalmist in Psalm 73 entertained that thought because all around him he saw people seemingly getting ahead. People who weren't all that concerned about living pure and holy lives. And they seemed to be happy people. They seemed to be really enjoying life. Praise God he was able to see as he went into the sanctuary of God the truth of the matter. You know, as you think through this situation, the thought, the actual thought of going back, turning back to the way things once were. Sometimes as as life becomes difficult, circumstances become hard, perhaps the thought of living a holy life, being obedient to what God says in his word, conducting yourself with all purity, Sometimes we might think of those things. We might think, it's just not worth it anymore. No one else is doing it, so why should I? Friends, if if you've ever entertained or thought about those kinds of things, I think the context of the book of Hebrews is, is a very good book for you. Because there were people entertaining such a thing. Turning back. Going the other direction. Because it's getting hard. It's getting hard. Listen. Can you see anything in God's word that says. My children this is going to be easy. I don't see it. In fact the Bible says that we are to walk a narrow way. Aren't we? A narrow way that's going to be difficult. And says few find it. So why is it we have the expectation that it's going to be easy or that it ought to be easy or that it ought to be comfortable? These folks we're reading about here in Hebrews, the audience to whom this is written, 
They weren't very comfortable. I'd like to tell you this morning that it's pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ, upholding his word, it's worth it. I just want to put it out there and say, it's worth it. It's like the man who found that treasure in the field and he goes and he sells everything so that he can have the treasure. Friends, we've been afforded the treasure in Jesus Christ and he is worth it. Don't give up. Keep going. Persevere. Endure. You know, really what we have here before us in Hebrews is a large exhortation. That's really what this is. In fact, I'm not making it up. Turn to the end of Hebrews. And you can read this with me. In chapter 13, as he's closing, he says in verse 22, And I appeal to you, brethren. Bear, here it is. Bear with the word of exhortation. For I have written to you in few words. Now many of us think 13 chapters. Wow, that's, 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 that's not a few. That's, that's a good number of words. But to him, this, as he's writing, moved by the Spirit. Remember, all these writers are moved by the Spirit. In their writing, 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21. This is not his own opinion, own and good idea. He's carried along by the Spirit as he's writing. But this is a word of exhortation. So as a means of introduction, the writer of Hebrews is appealing to his listener. He's appealing to his listener. He's appealing to fellow believers in Jesus Christ. These fellow believers who were also well acquainted with the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he calls them to bear with the word of exhortation. That's how he describes what we know as the book of Hebrews. A word of exhortation. A word of encouragement. A word of rebuke. The word exhortation kind of has both connotations. Exhortation as a, an encouragement. Exhortation as a rebuke. His listener is called to bear with this word of exhortation. To bear with. When the Bible, listen, this is so important. When the Bible calls you to bear with one another, it's one of the several one another passages. Bear with one another. I'm convinced many of us don't like that one. Bear with one another. Bear with them. What's implied here? Well, there's a couple things attached to that. I think it's, it's bringing to your attention the vast differences, the diversity of the brethren in whom reside, let's remember, the same spirit of God. To bear with someone assumes you may not on every issue agree, but for the sake of love, for the sake of unity, for the sake of our Lord Jesus, we're called to bear with one another. As we do so, we are showing our love toward them. The Hebrew writer is appealing to his listener to bear with his word of exhortation. So here, here's the thing. As, as I think about the intro and what, what he's hoping to do with this exhortation. It's almost as if he's saying, you, you might not like what I have to say, but bear with it. <laughs> bear with it. You might want to turn back. You might want to go back to your former way of living. Don't do it. You might want to escape the persecution that's coming your way, but endure and obey all the way to the end. Exercise your faith. Bear with this word of exhortation. 
Some of you here need to stamp the purpose of Hebrews on your own heart. You're here today and you're ready to call it quits. You're ready to walk the other way. You're ready for something different, a different experience, something different. You're not seeing any evidence of of your circumstances changing. And so you may be thinking about bolting. Listen, bear with this word of exhortation. Bear with what the Lord has to say. See, this God that you serve has spoken in times past. And he spoke through his son, Jesus. And he's still speaking today. Listen, he's not speaking new words. He's given to us his word and he's given to us his spirit to dwell within us. He's speaking This is a living and active word that we have before us. Blessed is the man who endures, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Did you hear that? Blessed is the one who endures. This is James 1.12. But when he's been approved, well, some of you are thinking, when am I going to get approved? When's this done? When's this going to get over? You know, I, honestly, here I was, I was thinking about some of our families that, that have been gone for the last three weeks. And I'm sure over the last three weeks, it's been, for them, it's been with sickness and, and, and what have you in the home. It's been a whirlwind in their home. Listen, when's this going to get done? And maybe that's where some of you are at. Blessed is the man who, who endures for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised. The Lord has promised To those who love him. To those who love him. Love is is not word speak, friends, is it? Love involves actions as well. To those who love him. So let's go through Hebrews 1. I'd like to watch how the, the, the Hebrew writer introduces this exhortation. He spends little time with opening remarks as we see in some of Paul's letters some opening prayers and kind of some prelude material. When I say prelude, I don't mean that it's not significant or not important from God speaking through this person. I'm just simply saying as a means of a letter and opening up, we don't see the same kind of intro here in Hebrews. He spends little time with those opening remarks. Instead, he seems to be most concerned about getting to Jesus. I love this. He seems to be most concerned about getting to Jesus. How many times, I'm just thinking about this, in our lives, do we spend talking about periphery things, chaff kind of things, and give benefit, benefit of the doubt, maybe they are actually some good things, but we don't ever get to Jesus. We don't get to Jesus. Some of us have, have, have lived a long time. We've lived great numbers of years as a Christian. And we have yet, as of today, January 17th, 2016, to get to Jesus in terms of having any conversation with people. 
The Hebrew writer spends no time getting to Jesus. Seems to be an urgency as he's moved by the Spirit. An urgency to make sure these people know who this Jesus is. A reminder. See, these people did know. They had believed. They'd placed their faith and trust in him. But there's stuff going on around them that's influencing them, causing them to now want to. Maybe they're, they're, they're getting ready to turn, go back. And this word of exhortation saying, bear with the word. Listen to what I've got to say. Because you're thinking about going this way. But I'm telling you, the real deal, the truth is this way. And there may be some of you here today who are contemplating that, that whole, oh, you're on the hinge kind of of moving. There's some of you here today who know people, maybe they're in your family, maybe they're in your extended family, who are also doing that same thing. And you see them on that very uh, crucial pivot point. They're entertaining thoughts. Friends, I want to encourage you, if that's where you're at, if, if we're entertaining thoughts, we need to be daily renewing our mind with True thoughts. True thoughts. Things that the Lord would have us to take hold of and embrace and walk in. I love how he begins. He gets right to Jesus. We see in verses 1 and 2, this is a God who speaks. Amen? God who speaks. As, as we open the word and as we read the word of God, do you read it in such a way that you are thinking to yourself as you read the words on the page... God speaking. He's speaking. Listen, if God is speaking, I'm going to ask you this morning, how good of a listener are you? Now, some of us, we don't listen very well in the home, perhaps. We might hear what dad or mom has to say, children. But we don't act on it. We don't listen, truly. Truly. Some of us dads and moms, perhaps we're in the same boat. We hear things being spoken, but we don't act upon them. God is speaking. When God is speaking, it's imperative that we are listening, that we have our antenna up, that we want and desire to hear what he has to say. So that's what... Verses 1 and 2, it says he, he spoke at various times. The word there, various times, has in mind uh, parts, fragments. You think about in the course of history and what we have before us in the Old Testament. God is revealing himself and speaking to us at different fragments, different points in time. To different prophets, right? At various times and various ways. In various ways, we think about the, the manners and the ways in which he spoke. To the fathers, through the prophets, you know, angels showing up on the scene, visions, dreams. Think about all the different ways that he showed himself. Various times. God at various times, in various ways, spoke. He spoke in time past to the fathers. By the prophets. God spoke through the prophets. And he spoke the word to the people. It was sort of like those prophets were his mouthpiece speaking his word. So it, it, he spoke and it's sort of like directly 
to them to give them a word that they would be the, the mediator between the people and God. He spoke, they spoke a word that God gave them. Various times, various places. This God, verse 2, has in these last days, these last days, that's a key phrase, in these last days, we see elsewhere in the New Testament the reference to the last days. Uh, friends, those are the days that we're in. We're in these days. You know, Christ come on the scene. Christ goes. He's ascended to be with, back with the Father. And then, and then a short while later, the outpouring in Acts 2 of the Holy Spirit. Right? You, you read some of Paul's letters to Timothy and you talk about the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, in these last days, what is going to be happening? Pointing to some things that are going to be going on. In these last days, God's spoken to us. The writer says to us, but I think we could also embrace that. And he's spoken to us. He's spoken to us by whom? His son. Spoken by his son. At the mention of his son, I want you to notice something. Notice where the text turns, right here. Okay, remember, he's quick about getting to Jesus. God speaking, he spoke to the fathers in times past by the prophets. And he also, in these last days... The writer says, he's spoken to us by the Son. Now he's got Jesus. He's right here. He's already at Jesus. And now notice where he's going. The time and attention now seems to turn directly to the Son that he's just identified. Identifying who this Jesus is, his nature, his character, his work. The writer captures the core, identifying marks of this one whom they've professed. It's almost as though he's saying right here, verse 2, listen up, let me remind you of this Jesus, the one whom you said yes to, the one you said you were going to follow, the one you said you were going to obey, all the way to the end. And so we have what I've just labeled these credentials of, of Jesus. And I think these credentials of Jesus are here to bolster the faith of the, of the one listening to this exhortation. And so we see there in verse 2, whom he's spoken to us in these last days by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. He's been given and designated and granted all authority. Reminds me of the end of Matthew 28, where Jesus himself says, all authority has been what? Given to me. In heaven and on earth. He's appointed heir of all things. It says also at the the end of verse 2. Through whom, through whom, that's the son. Through whom also he made the worlds, the ages. What what identifying mark here is he making about the son? He's also the creator. He's also the creator. Right? In Genesis, early on in Genesis, we see God and we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep. And we see that Christ himself is there. We see it also in other passages of scripture that the three were there. Three persons, one God. We keep reading verse 3. He's still talking about, listen, he's still talking about Jesus. He's still talking about the Son. He's not quick to get off of this subject. 
and for good reason. There's an audience who needs to hear about this Jesus and to be renewed, refreshed, encouraged in who this Jesus is so that you can keep walking this way. This way that you've been called to walk in. So he keeps going. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness, or some of your translations might have radiance, the brightness or the radiance of his glory, the express image of his person, we could talk a long time about that. The, the very character and nature of God is this Jesus. In fact, if you would turn with me just for a moment, just to give you a handle, one handle. There are, there are many we could turn to, but uh, John chapter 1, first chapter. In John chapter 1, this is after the, the verses that talk about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us and He says, we beheld his glory, his glory. What glory? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we keep reading on down to verse 18. Listen to this. No one has seen God at any time. See, how's that so? Because what we know about God to be true is this. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body like man, right? God is spirit. And so keep reading. No one's seen God at any time. The only begotten son... Who is in the bosom, by the way, just as a side note, the begotten son. And elsewhere we see the uh, firstborn uh, idea captured here in this text in Hebrews. Um, Jesus was not a created being. Can we just be clear on that? Okay. Jesus was not a created being. Jesus was not the first one that God created. Jesus is an uncreated being who dwelled for all eternity with the Father. And with the Spirit. Can we be clear on that? Because there's some folks who are circulating some things that... Are, are, are kind of getting fuzzy with who this Jesus is. I want to be clear that this Jesus is not a created being. In fact, that's one of the differences between the angels and Jesus. Okay? So, side note on that. Verse 18. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So here's what we have in Jesus. As, he's, as the Hebrew writer is talking about him being the, the brightness and radiance of his glory, the express image of his person, what we see is that Jesus, who was, who was coming as fully God, fully man, fully man, he had flesh and bones just like you and me. People could see him. People could touch him, right? They could see him. God, they couldn't see. But here's, here's what is, is wonderful about Jesus, at least in part, one of the many things wonderful about him. Not only could they see him, but this Jesus who was visible was one who was all about declaring God. The way he lived, the things that he did, the words that he spoke, declared God. So if people wanted to know, and the question was actually posed, well, how do we know the Father? And then word comes back, right? Remember that passage of scripture in John's gospel? Have I been with you so long? And you fail to remember that seeing me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came and he declared God. The invisible one was manifested, made known through Jesus. We keep reading. He's still talking about Jesus. The brightness of his glory... Express image of his person. The express image of his person has in mind that stamp, putting, bearing a stamp. 
you know, you're putting a mark on something, the, the, the original, and you're putting a stamp. This is exactly what Jesus, Jesus was. So when people saw Jesus, they were seeing God. It says it, 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 he was also upholding. This Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. So what do we know about this Jesus? Not only is he... Um, the authority. He's been given designated authority. Not only is he the creator, um, not only is he the, uh, the image or the, the, the one who was going to reveal this invisible God to man, but he's also a sustainer. Now, maybe we don't think about Jesus as a sustainer all that often. The Hebrew writer is pointing out he is the one, Jesus, the son, is the one who is sustaining he is carrying, another translation, he, think about that picture. He's sustaining and carrying, what's he doing? Uh, how much? All things. All things by what? By the word of his power. So the Hebrew writer wants us to know and wants his audience to know, his direct audience to know that this son, Jesus, is the one who sustains and carries you through all things. Why would that be so important in light of our context? Because you see, there's a group of people who are listening to this who are on the verge of going back. They're on the verge of thinking, oh, this isn't worth it. And he's identifying Jesus, one of these markers of identifying Jesus as the sustainer He's the one, listen, people. He says, bear with this word. I want you to know that Jesus is the one who is going to carry you through all things. What an encouragement. All things. I'll sustain you. Friends, what is true for them, his primary audience then, is true for you and me today. Let me explain. This same Jesus, the same God who spoke through his son Jesus, has also guaranteed for us today that we too, while we're faced with doubts, while we're faced with uncertainties and circumstances that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, he's saying to each one of us through his word here, I believe, this word of exhortation, hold on. I want you to know something about Jesus. He says, he will carry you. He will carry you through all of your stuff, through all of your hard situations, through all of the things that you just don't understand right now. Hold on. He is a sustainer. Friends, that's a comfort. That's an encouragement. He's not done. Upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins. And sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What else is he saying here about this Jesus? What's he want us to know about Jesus? He's gotten us to Jesus and he's been talking about Jesus since verse 2, right? God spoke 
various times and ways and times past by the fathers through the prophets. And in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. This one who's been given all authority. This one who, who was the creator. This one who bared the, the, the brightness, the radiance of his glory and was the stamp of God's image. And he's also the one who's been upholding and sustaining all things. This same son. And the, the words there by himself are important. It's in, in, in the original, it's, it's a middle voice. The middle voice which really brings forward this idea that he did this action by himself. What did he do by himself? The text says he purged or he cleansed our sins. Let me ask you a real simple question this morning. Are you grateful that he cleansed you of your sins? See, the writer is talking about this Jesus, this son. And he's identifying certain things about this son that for us as we read it here today, we, we ought to, you know, when I get to this one about purging our sins, we, we ought to, and I know for some of us this is a frightening thing, but I read that part of the verse and I just say, Amen! <laughs> Amen! He cleansed me from my sin. This Jesus purged my sins. We've become, I think, a group of people um, that have lost the wonder of what it is to have our sins forgiven. We're a forgiven people. I've, I've been going through the Bible in Deuteronomy. And it's interesting. In Deuteronomy, I think it's somewhere in Deuteronomy 7, where he's talking about, hey, don't think for a moment that you are chosen by God because you're something special. He says, in fact, I love it. In fact, you are a rebellious and stiff-necked people. He reminds them of who they are. But God, out of his storehouse of grace and love, he does that. Friends, the text here says, when he had by himself purged our sins, can we get real basic and simple for just a moment? How did he do that? I want to make sure we, we understand when it says he purged our sins. He purged our sins at the cross. That's the song we sing about, right? At the cross. At the cross is where that happened. That's why always going back and living a cross-centered life is important because that is the place. That's where that great transaction took place. The cross of Calvary ought never grow old for us, friends. In fact, Apostle Paul says that we ought to be carrying around the death of Christ in our body. Why? So that the life of Christ might be manifested in us. You see, it's only as we have an understanding of what Christ did for us at the cross that we can have life. Some of us walk around and we might think we have life. We might think we've crossed over. But friends, when you've crossed over from death to life, you're going to know it and those around you are going to know it because there's going to be, as the Bible says, there's going to be fruit, there's going to be evidence. Purged him by himself, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So look at the progression. There's a couple pieces of the core of the gospel left out, but we get the progression. He's speaking about purging our sins, which speaks of the cross. What happened after the cross? The Bible says in Corinthians 15, he was buried. What happened after he was buried? Three days later, the Bible says he was what? 
He was raised, the resurrection. There was an empty tomb. The empty tomb provides us hope. It's a a seal of God's saying yes to his son. And then we see after the resurrection, there is the ascension. And that's the reference here. He not only purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. You know, this, this picture at the right hand, he's our great high priest. And Hebrews is going to develop that idea as we keep going through the book of Hebrews. This Jesus, this son of God, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty, of the majesty on high. And it's not over yet, is it? Because he's waiting to do what? Come back. We're in these last days, aren't we? Having become, look at verse 4. Having become so much better. There's the phrase. This son, by the way, this is a long sentence, isn't it? Keeps going. We got to go back. I kind of have to go back and see who we're pointing to when we get to the who and the whoms. And having become... So much better. Who's, who's become so much better? It's the son. It's this Jesus that he's so quick to get us to. Having become so much better than the angels. Now, well, the angels. Better than the angels. Leads you, hopefully, as you're reading that, it leads you to ask the question, why is he bringing angels forth here? Well, in the context to, to, to the group that he's writing to, evidently that was a, an issue There was a word, perhaps, that was being circulated that Jesus is an angel. We don't know all of the details. All we know is what we can read here in the text, and that is, right here in verse 4, he's saying that this son, this Jesus, having identified all these markers about this Jesus, having become so much better. What is it that made him so much better? It's connected to what just came. He's, He's deemed so much better... Because this Jesus not only purged our sins, but this Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the Father on high. That is identifying him as being better. And as we'll see, he's not just better than the angels. He's better than the whole slew of folks and things that are going to happen as we continue reading the book of Hebrews. Having become so much better than the angels... These angels, just as a, a reference point, um, Psalm 103 is a, is a helpful verse. Just thinking about the role and ministry of the angels. It says, bless the Lord, you his angels who excel. What do they do? They excel in strength. What else? Who do his word. The angels do his word, God's word. They do what he says. Heeding the voice of his word. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the, the arrival of John the Baptist and the arrival of uh, Jesus? One of the things that, that those two accounts have in common is what? Who shows up? Angel. Angel of the Lord shows up. Shows up and has a word. Has a word. Angels angels typically don't just show up and just have conversation with people. How's your day going? 
They have a word and they are ministering. As we see a little bit later in chapter 1, they're ministering and serving. They go at his bidding. So he's become so much better than the angels. How so? As he has by inheritance. By inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. A more excellent name. You know, we sing songs about his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. We see Isaiah talk about wonderful, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting, right? All these names. All throughout the scripture we see these various names of Jesus. And it says he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, the angels. A more excellent name. By inheritance. I was thinking about, as we think about him being uh, an inheritance obtained, I was reminded of of the passage in Romans. And in Romans chapter 8, it speaks to this. It speaks to our role as well in terms of our inheritance. In verse 12, chapter 8, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, and if children, if we're children, then heirs, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. Did you hear that? If indeed we suffer with him. What's the context in Hebrews? There are people who are, are because of suffering, they're, they're thinking about going the other way. And here he says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That we might partake with him. That we might be with him. And the Hebrew writer here is speaking about this inheritance. And by the way, you get to that in verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Talking about the angels sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. For those who will inherit. It's talking about what yet to come. Those who will inherit salvation. I'd plan to go 5 through, through 14. But the Lord has, has, has brought... I think enough for one through four today. I want to stop and settle one through four and we'll pick up next week at verse five. I want to encourage you as we, uh, as we look at this text in one through four, in many ways an introduction to the book, in many ways just kind of giving some handles on what this book is talking about. And I hope and pray we come to understand that, that this is a word of exhortation. And he's appealing to his listener to bear with this word of exhortation. To bear with it. And I pray that we would receive this word in light of the context that you might find yourself in today. Because I would imagine with this many people here, you all are going through a lot of different stuff. Things hard, difficult. But as it pertains to who you are in Jesus Christ, I'd like to just encourage you from what we've read this morning. 
from what we've seen about who this Jesus is. And perhaps one of the, the main takeaways, one of the encouragements for you, just as the writer of Hebrews does, he's quick to get to Jesus. There's a lot of you in here who know Jesus. You know Jesus. You know his name. We talked about identifying people by name. You can identify him by name. In fact, we, we sometimes joke about, you know, when someone asks the question, we know that the answer, we don't know exactly, but we know it's got to be Jesus. And we toss, toss that about. We know Jesus. But friends, I want to encourage you this morning, not just to know his name and be able to verbalize his name But my encouragement to you this morning is to be able to take that name of Jesus with you, to walk in the name of Jesus, and to be quick, to be quick, just like the writer of Hebrews, to be quick to get others to this Jesus as well. Amen? Let's do that. Let's be about that. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word of exhortation. I pray that we would be a people who would receive your exhortation, that we would be uh, willing to open our ears to hear what you have to say. That we would be desirous to walk in what you've called us to here in this word. May we, as we open your word, understand each day as we read that you are a God who speaks. You spoke in times past in various ways, in various manners. Father, in these last days, you have spoken to us by your Son, And Father, I'm grateful for the writer and how you move the writer at this point to just turn full attention to who this son is. Lord, I pray we would all here in this place be clear about this son. We would be clear about this person, Jesus, whom we profess. We say, Lord, we are Christians. I pray as the song and the chorus that, that they, those in the world, would know that we're Christians by our love, by how we live, by how our faith works together with our works. I pray it be said of us that the Lord was our passion. I pray it be said of us, Lord, that, that we would walk diligently and keep to your ways. That we would each day be reminded of this good word and be reminded of who this Jesus is. May we all in our lives be quick to get to Jesus. Some here today, I would make the reference even to some today who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, convicting work, that they would be brought and be quickly brought to Jesus. All men and women need to have Jesus in their life. They need to be living in a way that Jesus has called for. So, Father, we thank you for this introduction into this book of Hebrews. It's a powerful introduction because, Lord, it sets before us the author and perfecter of the faith, Jesus himself, the one who purged our sins. And for that, Lord, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.